Hello and welcome to Front and Center, a show dedicated to insights and perspectives on commercial real estate investment across the public and private markets. For more information, please visit centersquare.com. Welcome back to another episode of Front and Center. I'm Uma Moriarty, Senior Investment Strategist and Global ESG Lead here at Center Square, and I'm joined today by Chad Burkhart, Managing Director for our Strategic Capital Platform. Um, Chad spends a lot of his time trying to really find unique opportunities to invest in real estate. And in a market like we're seeing today with so much dislocation and uncertainty, it's really the perfect hunting ground for us across this platform. And we wanted to bring some of those discussions to all of you here today. Um, so thanks, Chad, for being here. I know you've been on the road recently and we're just at the IREI Real Estate Operating Company Conference, right? Yeah, um, I was there last week uh, and thanks for having me, Uma. So. IREI puts on a, a conference down in Austin every year, really solely focused on just discussing real estate operating companies. That's pretty unique. So overall, the conference has a, a very small feel to it. And uh, the way that IREI breaks up the industry is really into three groups. So they start with the capital and they think first about institutional investors or LPs and second, investment managers like Center Square that sometimes sit in between LPs. And then third, the GPs and the sponsors that are the operators of the underlying companies. And so all three groups were equally represented, uh, which was great to see. And, and it was clear that there's a lot of LPs that are newer to the space, a lot of first-time attendees uh, really looking to figure out how to best access these types of platform or entity-level investments. And if we think about the larger plans, they really benefit from having uh, large staffs uh, that have that are really sophisticated and have the ability to make direct investments into REOX. And then you have smaller plans who don't have the staff um, and are looking for more capital solutions because they know they don't have the time and really can't react in the time frame needed. Um, so they work with investment managers who can focus on sourcing, due diligence, uh, ongoing asset management, have to sit on boards, reporting valuations, uh, et cetera. Super interesting. So how are they thinking about these types of REOC transactions? Yeah, so um, so one of the one of the best parts about the conference and, and who was there is really is how curated uh, the attendance is. So there was only 150 people at the conference, so it felt very intimate to me and, and much different than going to, you know, in retail, ICSC or uh, the large multifamily conference, uh, NMHC out in Vegas or down in Orlando with thousands of people. So you really got to know one another uh, around uh, the table having discussions or, or sitting down for meals or drinks together, which was, was definitely refreshing. And I think it dovetails nicely into these types of um, transactions um, that define platform investing, where you're, you're really investing in, in the people just as much as you are investing in properties. So to answer your question about um, the second half of your question there is IREI does a really nice job of defining the universe, uh, which is really in line of, of how Center Square thinks about the waterfront of private equity investing. So if you could pin, picture a spectrum of different styles of transactions, where on the one end, you have specified JVs, joint ventures, and co-invests. In the middle, you have programmatic JVs, where capital partners and operators are tying up together, either for a period of time or putting out a certain amount of capital. And then at the other end, you have REOC funds and, and entity platform investments. I think it really gives a good 
picture of, of the REAC universe. So today, Center Square has strategies that covers the majority of these transactions in our private equity group that's run by Jeff Reeder. We make investments in specified transactions and joint ventures and in strategic capital. Um, at the other end of the spectrum, we're making investments into platforms. And we really don't touch programmatic JVs. And my view has always been that if you're investing alongside an operator that focuses on a specific asset class or geography, let's say it's, as an example, Southeast multifamily or build to rent, there's really very little benefit um, in my mind to spending a lot of uh, legal dollars uh, for a programmatic joint venture and to create a buy box and set terms uh, for transactions that aren't really knowable. So one of the folks at the conference said it well, that you have to dance together before you can get married. And, and I kind of follow that approach. Okay, fair. So I, I think you prefer investing in some of these platforms or entities rather than investing in individual properties or assets. You know, what are you like about investing more across that platform view? Yeah, so, so we see a lot of value um, in investing in platforms. So let me answer uh, maybe by giving you an example. So let's imagine that we want to invest in data centers and, and we, could we could really pick any asset class, but we have high conviction in data centers, so we'll run with that. So if, if we're looking at investing in this sector, we really have two choices. We can invest in a single development down at the property level, or we can invest in a company who develops multiple data centers across, uh, let's say, the U.S. So in the first case of just investing in an asset, let's go through pros and cons. So pros in favor of this kind of transaction um, is probably I'm investing the majority of the capital, so I have control over governance. And this is going to give me the ability to make the investment decision, dictate how much um, financing we're going to be using. And maybe we'll have some lockouts, but we're controlling uh, when to sell that property or that asset uh, or create liquidity, which is a really great thing, uh, pretty straightforward. The cons are going to be, I have to underwrite a new market, the economics of the transactions, probably in 30 days, while I'm getting to know the partner and doing that level of due diligence, agree upon terms, uh, secure my financing, which is going to be really, you know, probably one-off project financing. And all of my risk is going to be on that single property with the cost risk and the lease up risk of a single data center, which uh, is really largely binary if you're investing in the hyperscale space. So, um, and ultimately, I don't own any piece of that developer. So, there's no enterprise value for me to be benefiting from um, just the uh, economics and the returns from that individual uh, project level uh, investment. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. So if you're thinking about investment in platform or developer entity here, you're getting shares or units, you're providing that growth capital on the balance sheet, and you might be you know, funding a pipeline of developments that's diversified across markets. So how do you think about the pros and cons there? Here, my pros are going to be that I'm going to be spending a meaningful amount of time underwriting the team their backgrounds, their track record, existing assets, the pipeline that they're planning on buying. And I'm diversified by a portfolio of data centers, so there's much less binary risk. And then I can benefit, uh, much like the REITs do, from secured financing or entity-level financing that's way more efficient and, and probably better pricing. And by investing in a platform, we have the network effects and power walls that we seek out of investing in a team 
that's working with the vendors and buying hundreds of millions of dollars of data center equipment and PDUs and generators. They have great relationships with the big hyperscalers uh, because they're signing hundreds of megawatts uh, of, of leases annually. So these companies have entire groups, very difficult to compete with. They have entire groups that are dedicating to sourcing power and entitlements in markets. So in our mind, it creates a pretty powerful moat uh, that's hard to replicate in a single asset investment. And the cons, um, you know, everything has a tax. So the cons are going to be primarily, in my mind, focused around liquidity. So in these investments, we probably have a board seat and can dictate some level of control in helping shape how the company finances itself um, and capital allocation decisions around acquisitions and M&A. But we don't really have the kind of liquidity that most people are used to in a 90-10 joint venture. And our belief here at Center Square is that the pros uh, vastly outweigh the cons due to all the network effects that we get when moving into a company versus down in a single asset. And then on top of that, uh, one of the nice things going forward is as an investor, if we have preemptive rights, uh, which we usually will negotiate for, then we have a guaranteed option um, to commit more capital in the future um, as we see fit at our election, where we think there's a sufficient returns in the future. Yeah, I think that the network effects and just the capacity to access capital across the debt and equity markets becomes a completely different ballgame when you have a really strong platform um, compared to when you're just looking for these one-off projects. Okay, so you like investing in platforms, but I think, you know, regardless of whether you're investing in a real estate platform or a real estate asset, the transaction market has been really slow over the last year, given just what's happened across the capital market space. Has that changed at all? No, unfortunately, I said there hasn't been really much change there. I mean, transactions year over year are going to be down 70%. That was a number that was quoted at the conference. I'm not sure exactly what metric that's on. Um, but there was a lot of a lot of discussion about open end uh, diversified core Odyssey funds and how slow they've been to take marks um, because they're really subject to appraisals that you know first are looking in the rearview mirror and second there's just not a lot of transactions to point to to justify uh, today's cap rates and so um, what was interesting is that that led into a lot of discussion about the REIT market, uh, which obviously we know well, where we heard from the larger plans talking about what a great opportunity it is to buy REITs. And, you know, they mark, the mark to market is much quicker. There are much lower valuations, higher cap rates, lower multiples than what's available in the, in the private markets. And so obviously we're well suited here to step in and capture that pro forma return, you know, center square being the fourth largest active global um, independent REIT manager. Yeah, and just in terms of kind of the level of the disconnect in valuations, right? We can you can buy Sunbelt apartments in the REIT market for a seven cap rate, which I don't I don't think you can find that quite yet across the private market. So definitely has a a, a valuation disconnect there that you can take advantage of. Yeah, and that was actually that was actually referenced by one of the larger plans, and I think half of the audience didn't didn't realize that was available to them. Yeah, super interesting stuff. Um, you know, even though transactions are down meaningfully, and you mentioned some of the plans here talking about deploying capital, it does seem like there is a lot of capital that's ready and waiting on the sidelines to get deployed in the coming years. Was there anything that you heard that was interesting, just in terms of capital flows? 
Yeah, I, I think that's a, a good observation. We did hear uh, from Susan Swansea, I think I'm saying her name correctly, from Hodes Weil, um, talking about trends in, in capital flows. And they put out a great annual report. It's free on Hodes Weil's website called the Allocation Monitor. Uh, they put that out in connection with Cornell uh, University, which is my alma mater. So that's obviously excellent. And I would say the two main takeaways I got from that portion of the conference was first that uh, the majority of institutions are kind of at their allocation levels, but that's improving or starting to improve given the denominator effect or dissipating um, as real estate values very slowly are starting to get written down. And then um, second, general sentiment um, as they track it is changing and larger institutions see themselves playing more offense and want to invest in these good vintage years. I think they learned that from uh, the GFC days and everyone believes that's going to be into uh, 24 and 25. So, you know, I'm a, I'm a big believer and I teach my kids about equal and opposite reactions. So my takeaway is that while there's a meaningful re re-rating of assets and deleveraging or re-equitizing that's underway. It's kind of just started in the private markets that there's going to be some phenomenal opportunities uh, to commit capital. And, and I, you know, my belief is that that's right around the corner. So we're taking advantage today to spend a lot of time with our investors to check in, to give them our thoughts uh, on the markets and how we see things playing out. Uh, so when that time does come to play offense, we know um, who's really looking to step into the fray. Awesome. Yeah, I think this is definitely an interesting market that allows for a lot of opportunities when when you have the capacity to to really go hunting and go looking for that. All right, great. Well, I think that's all we have time for here today. Thank you, Chad, again for joining us. And we will be back next week with another episode of Front and Center. Thanks for listening to Front and Center. You can subscribe on your favorite streaming platform and please be sure to leave us a review. To stay up to date, you can visit our website at centersquare.com to access our thought leadership, sign up for our mailing list, or contact our team. We look forward to hearing from you. The content of this podcast is informational only and represents the viewpoints of the presenters at the time of recording. It should not be regarded as a solicitation nor investment advice. All information presented is subject to change at any time based on new data, analysis, or market conditions. Past performance is no guarantee of future results.